Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have graciously called us into your kingdom. Uh, but Lord, we know that as members of your kingdom in this world, your message will not always be welcome. And so we pray this day, O Lord, that you would make us bold and you would grant us courage to share the good news of your reign and your salvation. Now be with us as we hear your word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't get to preach the text today that I want the, the way that I wanted to preach it. I don't get to, to deal with this text in the way that I wanted to deal with it because I wanted to deal with it in a way that I think was, was, was generally kind of fun and maybe a little bit safe. Here's what I wanted to do. Let me tell you what I wanted to do with this text today. I wanted to look at this text today and use it as an opportunity for us to do a Bible study on the idea of the sea in the Bible. Now, I know this sounds very exciting to you, and it would have been. It would have been a lot of fun. We think about the sea and the water throughout the Bible, and there's all kinds of interesting things we find. For example, when you go to the book of Genesis at the very beginning, what's the Spirit of God doing? He's hovering over the waters. And before God speaks order and design and creation into existence, here is the Spirit of God hovering over chaos and disorder, the sea. Or like when, when God is going to pour out his wrath on the creation in the book of Genesis, he drowns it in a sea, saving only Noah and his family, eight people in all. Or we can think of Jonah. We remember old Jonah, right? When he wants to run away from God, where does Jonah go? He runs to the sea. He runs as far away from God, he thinks, as he possibly can. And he jumps into the sea to die, only to be swallowed by a whale and spit back out on the land. We can go throughout the whole Bible doing this. We could even get to the book of Revelation where the sea represents the home of all that is, is evil and bad. Out of the sea comes things like dragons and, and beasts to the point that when you get to the new heavens and the new earth, the sea is symbolically removed because there will be no more evil or sin there. You look at this role of the sea throughout the scriptures and you find wrath and punishment and disorder. So that today when Jesus calls these disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, uh, to be his followers, where does he call them out of? The sea. The sea of Galilee. He takes them, in other words, symbolically speaking, from the place of storm and disorder and calls them into the sure foundation of his salvation. He frees them from the chaos and calls them into the comforting peace of his presence. And then he sends them forth into the world to do the same thing, sending them out as fishers of mankind to bring them all from the sea and the chaos of sin into the safe, secure presence of Jesus Christ. He's done this for you when he drew you from the waters of your baptism and now sends you forth with the gospel as well. That's how I wanted to preach the text today. I like that sermon. I think it's a pretty good one still. Anyhow, that's what I wanted to do with it. Uh, nonetheless, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's theologically engaging. It maybe makes you a little more curious about reading your Bible. And that reading of the text and that preaching of the text is totally safe. And that's how I want to think about the Christian life, quite honestly. Theologically interesting and totally safe. But there's just this problem of reading the actual text of scripture there's this nagging verse here that no fishing pun intended here jeff that won't let me off the hook you see 
there's something here that we need to pay a little bit closer attention to which is not safe at all. I want you to hear it again because I think sometimes we may pass over this one too quickly. It's the opening verse. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now again, it sounds pretty safe. Sounds like a just transitionary kind of verse. But we need to stop here and focus in on what's actually taking place here. John the Baptist has been arrested. John, the one chosen by God, to, by God to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming Messiah, the coming King of Israel, this great spokesperson for God is arrested in the region of Galilee. Followed by Jesus who comes onto the scene into the same region where John was arrested preaching the same message that got him arrested. And that's not even exactly right. He's not preaching the same message that John preached exactly. He's ramping it up. John prepared for the coming Messiah. Jesus says, I am that Messiah. Repent and believe the good news because the reign of God is in your presence when I show up. I'm the king. It's time to follow me. John's arrested for preparing us for that message. Jesus actually doubles down on it. In other words, in this passage here, Jesus is walking into a region, and by preaching this, he's actually asking for trouble. What's more, he's not going at it alone. He's drawing others into this dangerous situation with him, calling them to proclaim the same thing. There in the region by the Sea of Galilee, the same dangerous place. The place where prophets are arrested and made examples of. I mean, I want to read the text to you and say, oh, look how Jesus is saving these disciples from the chaos of life and bringing them into a place of peace. And I suppose theologically that's true in their relationship with God. They're at peace with God through Christ. But if you look at what's actually happening here in the history of the account, Jesus is pulling them out of the security of their jobs. He's removing them from a comfortable living in the, in the local fishing industry. And he's calling them, as it were, out of, <laughs> out of their comfortable beds into the fire. This is Jesus calling them to do and be anything but safe in this world. For Jesus has called them into a very dangerous following. To follow him in a world that does not welcome his message that does not welcome him. And the reality is, this call from Jesus hasn't changed. For the world's attitude towards Jesus hasn't changed. And you and I, who have been called and saved by Jesus Christ in our baptism, have been called out of the water into the fire to follow Christ. We are living, as we know now, in a culture that is losing uh, its fascination with the church. There's much ink spilled in our day about how we're losing position in society, how our influence is waning, how much of the so-called Judeo-Christian ethic, which I guess our country is supposed to be built upon, is being questioned, and at worst, uh, at best it's being questioned, and at worst it's undermined and mocked. Now many will begin to say, uh, oh, look how the church is being persecuted. We are not being persecuted. We've talked about this before. We should not confuse the loss of popularity and privilege with persecution. But, as the society continues to move in a direction that actively opposes the Word of God and the teachings of Scripture, 
We as followers of Jesus Christ are going to be called upon to proclaim a message that might be putting us in some rather difficult and dangerous situations. And we have to ask ourselves, how are we to respond to this? How do we act as Christians in a world that wants to actively work against what it is we have to proclaim? And I mean, think about this just in very practical terms. How is a Christian supposed to respond when, say, their HR department tells them that they could lose their job for speaking up uh, for God's design of marriage? Those are things that are happening. What should our attitude be when we're mocked and made fun of at school for for trying to stand up for our principles and and for for not agreeing that the world is a cosmic accident, but that it actually is designed by God or whatever? What should our attitude be when we are viewed and mocked as being backwards and foolish for believing that the Bible is actually true, it actually is the Word of God, and that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead. How do we react to this as the church? Do we retreat? Do we, do we run away and, and hide somewhere? Do we, we sort of huddle up and remove ourselves from the hostile environment? Do we take up arms? Do we lead activists and join activist campaigns and try and take back what we think is rightfully ours? Is it fight or is it flight? What I want you to notice today uh, in our reading from the Gospels is that when it comes to the Lord Jesus, he doesn't seem to choose either of these options. See, Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom of God whether the world wants to welcome him or not. He's come on a mission to rescue sinners from the judgment and wrath of God. He's come to forgive and show mercy to his enemies and to create for himself a church by means of preaching and baptism. So he's going to preach and he's going to send out his followers to baptize. And he's going to usher in this kingdom not through a violent uprising nor by organizing this sort of secret society of saints. No, he comes and he he goes public. He preaches the good news even if that means he's got to do it in a hostile environment. And it is really quite remarkable how Jesus does this, knowingly does this, in a place where he knows he will be opposed and ultimately crucified. He knows Herod and the religious leaders are going to crucify him. He knows his friends are going to abandon him. He knows that he is the light coming into a world of darkness where people love the darkness more than the light. But it doesn't stop him from preaching. It doesn't stop him from carrying out his ministry. Why? Because Jesus knows that his word is more powerful than this world of sin and sorrow. He knows that his word will not return void, but that though the world would oppose him in his reign, yet reign he will, and the word will gather sheep into his sheepfold, or if we want to stick with the metaphor we have today, will scoop up uh, fish into the net and bring them into his kingdom. Jesus knows that the only way to rescue anyone from this evil age is to cast his net of forgiveness and draw sinners unto himself. And lo and behold, it's exactly what he's done for you and me. We are those sinners, and you are now caught. How about that? Where else are you going to go? For Jesus has got you with the words of eternal life. The kingdom of God has come to you in these words. What else have you to do but repent and believe the good news? That is to stop listening to the messages of fear and despair in the world. And rather, to receive this message that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And his word declares you forgiven. 
His word now declares you free from the power of death. Thus, anything that the world can do to you cannot overwhelm you, for whether you live or you die, you belong to the Lord. His word declares you free. It grants you life and freedom. It is yours, and you are his, but it is not yours alone. It is a message that is cast out like a net for the whole world to hear. And that includes your neighbors, your co-workers, your loved ones. Because it is that word and that word alone that will save them. Just as it is that word and that word alone that has saved you. And we don't always trust that as well as we should. We don't always trust the word to accomplish its purposes the way we think it should. We think sometimes we need to prep the word. We need to kind of massage the message. We need to ease people into it because we're worried of what might happen if we just give it to them straight. We fear what will happen to our relationships when we announce the gracious reign of Christ. It doesn't feel safe to make this announcement to call folks to repent and believe. But it doesn't feel safe because it isn't safe. The word actually threatens the world. And it doesn't give a nice, comfortable way of life. Yet it is powerful. And it will save. And it will create faith when and where the Holy Spirit wills. It is that word that immediately pulled Peter and Andrew and James and John from the boat into a life with Christ. It is that word that immediately pulled you from life, uh, excuse me, from death into life in your baptism. And it is that word that will continue to be light in a dark world and give life to the dying. Safe and comfortable? No. That's not what the word offers. And that's not the Christian life. But in a world overrun by fear and sin, it is the only word that has already now given you freedom, life, and salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word and we pray, O Lord, that you would allow nothing to turn us from this word. Help us to stand steadfast and firm and make us bold, O Lord, to share your gospel with those who need to hear it. We thank you, Lord, that we have heard it, that we have been caught up by it and brought into your kingdom. Now, Lord, make us to be fishers of men and women to bring them in as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.